Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Fuma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the podcast author or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent those of iHeartMedia, Tenderfoot TV, or their employees. This podcast also contains subject matter, which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. I don't know if it's possible to create a monster, but this is what happened. He had a difficult childhood in a negative environment, but it is not enough to explain what he became. It was a man who took pleasure to hurt everything around him. He enjoyed causing pain to others. It was his way to take revenge on what he believed life had done to him. On top of that, he had no feeling whatsoever of other people. He was what they call a perfect psychopath. A psychopath is somebody who understands emotions. And I told them it is very exceptional that somebody abducts two children at the same time. Should have been the end of it in 1986. But my God, it was just the beginning. I think Belgium was a paradise for perverts in those days. Welcome to Le Monstre. I'm your host, Matt Graves. The arrest of Marc Dutroux and his accomplices led to the incredible rescue of Sabine Dardenne and Letitia Deleuze and the shocking discovery of the conditions of their captivity. The entire country was rocked by these crimes, but four young girls were still missing, their families desperate for answers. This basement and the crimes committed here have made this house notorious. Every Belgian knows about Marc Dutroux's Chamber of Horrors, that so they must come here and see... What we knew at the time was only the tip of the iceberg of this unbelievable story. But who was Marc Dutroux? And how did he get away with kidnapping kids for so long? His story begins in Brussels, in a neighborhood I know well, less than two miles away from where I'm sitting today. Dutroux's parents hadn't been together very long, and his father later claimed that he thought Mark wasn't his biological son. Dutroux later described his father as an agitated and unstable man, and his mother as calculating, selfish, and devious. 
Both parents were teachers, and the family spent a short spell in Africa, in what was called the Belgian Congo at the time. You may recall from episode one that I interviewed a profiler named Karine Hutzebau, who established a profile of the type of person she believed police should be looking for after Julie and Melissa disappeared. She had some fascinating things to say about Dutroux's life during that interview. What can you tell us about Dutroux? It's a narcissistic personality. That's first. Okay. He was the firstborn. And um, he's even born in Congo, the colony of Belgium at the time. A quick note to correct this small error. Dutroux was actually born in Brussels, but moved to Congo shortly afterwards. And I know people personally who were also in Congo at that time and who told me that the father of Marc Dutroux, they called him l'homme avec la grande bite. Really? The man with the big, uh, how do you say in English? Dick. The yeah. man with the big dick. Is he fun. just jumped on everything that moved. His father. His father. Okay. And when he came into the house of my uh, witness, when he came in, his mother took all her children and said, stay here, all of you. Everybody was terrified of the father of Dutroux. On the other hand, Dutroux, Mark, was overprotected by his mother. Correct. And already when they were back in Belgium, Dutroux had become kind of the leader of the tribe. Okay. So you can make psychopaths in two ways. By too much violence during childhood. Yes. Physical violence, emotional violence, sexual violence, name it. Or, and they are worse, the children that are overprotected because they will never, ever take responsibility for their own wrongdoing. It is always somebody else's fault. These are the men, when they are older and they rape a girl or they kill a girl, it was her fault. It's always somebody else's so fault. So do you think that... Because uh, apparently, just from what I've read, that Mark Petrou, his father was violent. He That's was, part of it. He was... Mother overprotecting. And mother was overprotective. Yeah. So when you talked about the formation of a psychopath, you said, you know, can go two ways. Yeah. One is extreme violence and another is overprotection. Would you think that he had both? Do you think Mark Petrou had both? What is it that you think made him... Is it more the protection of his mother or the violence? It's a combination he, of both. It's a combination of yeah. both. Yeah. Probably each time he has been hit by his father or maybe raped, who will tell. Um, he, he sought uh, protection by his mother and she gave it to him. Anyway, it is, it is a very confusing upbringing. It's not an excuse. Sure. But it explains that these people and their way of thinking of things and lacking humanity, how that comes. They say that Children are born that way. That is not true. You know, I've seen too many criminals and child killers, and I do not judge them. I judge their acts. So I always have very good contact with them. Why did you... I can, I can be very harsh with them. One of the offenders I have in treatment, and I filmed this live, and he starts explaining to me, yeah, well, what happened? You know, the things that happened. I say, What? What, what are you saying? We well, yeah, the things that happened. I said, happened? No, no, I know, I know. The things I did. 
ah, now we are talking. Right. They really, they, I get out of my mind if they use where well, it happened. You know what happens? A storm can happen. An earthquake can happen. You know, things of nature can happen. But this is nothing, that is not something that happens. This is something you did. You decided to do and you liked to do it. And all those psychiatric definitions of disorder, it's, it's bullshit. They all tell me after six months of therapy, I did it because I like to do it. Upon their return from the Congo, the Dutroux family settled in the gritty working-class region around the city of Charleroi in Belgium. Charleroi is a difficult place to explain to people who haven't been there. It flourished economically during the Industrial Revolution with a huge buildup of steel and mining industries and an influx of migrants from across Europe. After the 1950s, it went from boomtown to gloomtown and factories were shuttered and unemployment skyrocketed. Its nickname became Le Pays Noir, or the Black Country. With the gloomy remnants of industrial decay, the region's pockmarked with shuttered mines, mills, and spoil tips polluting the landscape. Crime flourished in the 60s and 70s, and the name Charleroi soon became synonymous with organized crime and corruption. Marc Dutroux grew up as a child of the 60s in this region. Not the flowery 60s of peace and love, but a much darker existence. His grade school teachers described him as undisciplined and intolerable. He got caught stealing from one of his schools, from which he was expelled, and was later kicked out of another school for selling pornographic pictures to other students. His mother said he was always trying to profit from something and described him as, quote, dominating people with less personality and never expressing any feelings whatsoever, unquote. In 1971, his parents divorced, and at some point after that, his mother started seeing a young man who had apparently been one of her students. You'll remember from the last episode that I was able to interview Dutroux's lawyer, Ronnie Bodwin. I asked him to share what he could about where things started to go wrong with Mark Dutroux when he was young. I think that, you know, the main turning point in his youthful life was at the time that he must have been uh, like 15 years old and his mother started a relationship with uh, one of her students who was like 17. Okay. And he is always returning to that point as he could not accept, first of all, that his parents were going to split up. Uh, secondly, he then got confronted with some kind of stepdad who was barely older than he was at that time. Right. And that's also why he explains that, for instance, he is different than his younger brothers and sisters because they were younger. The age difference between those brothers and sisters yeah, was bigger towards the, the, the student with whom his mother uh, was supposed to have a relationship and uh, therefore they didn't live that the same way. Yes, yeah? right. There was a new man in the house and that new man should have been him and it was somebody else who was barely older than he was. This was obviously an important turning point in Dutroux's life, which ended up with him leaving home at the age of 16, 
We don't know a whole lot about this time of his life. It's rumored that he lived for a while with an older pedophile and that he got involved with male prostitution. He worked on and off as a mechanic while developing his skills as a small-time criminal. In 1979, he was convicted of theft and spent three months in prison. His favorite hobby was ice skating, and in the early 80s, he started to spend more and more time at ice rinks. On several occasions, he was kicked out of rinks for purposely causing girls to fall down and then fondling them while helping them up. At the age of 20, he met a 17-year-old orphan named Françoise Dubois, and the two got married. They had two children together, but the relationship was troubled from the start, and Françoise accused Mark of beating her. While his wife was pregnant, Mark continued to hang out at ice rinks, where he met a young woman named Michelle Martin. He divorced his first wife in 1983, and then Michelle moved in with him, and they had a boy together in 1984. All the while, he got deeper into crime, from stealing cars to shaking down elderly women. He also started traveling to Slovakia for various shady dealings. While there, he was accused of raping two teenage girls and also brought young Slovakian girls with him back to Belgium. His wife, Michelle Martin, was aware of these rapes and even assisted Mark in tricking victims and filming the crimes. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. To me, the moment he met Michelle Martin, she was like... I don't know whether I pronounce it right, but the catalysator, you know. For instance, if you want to put a piece of sugar on fire, you will not succeed. But if you put some ashes, which is already burned, on the piece of sugar and you put your match to it, it will take fire. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Those two met and by themselves, they, they were a potential danger, most probably. But it's only by meeting and coming together that suddenly the danger really got out. Huh? Right. 
uh, indeed, people forget or tend to forget that she was taking the pictures, that she was filming it on camera and stuff like that. She was involved right from the very first moment. So it's not like she was an innocent bystander. I know I've studied the file and I've studied Amongst other things, I've studied the relationship between them both, and I'm sure that at that time it was possible for him to do that because he had found literally, but also in a figure of speech, a partner in crime. Right. Do you think she was a psychopath? Absolutely. I'm personally convinced that she is. First of all, to do those things, what happened, yeah? You have to be a psychopath, and especially also the way in which those things were done. Don't forget that, for instance, they also went to uh, Slovakia, and there is also a list of Slovakian girls that got raped and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, this was not something they did just once. That was a way of life, almost. It was 1985, and Mark and his second wife, Michelle Martin, were living a marginal existence in the shadows of Charleroi. They befriended a man named Jean Van Pettigem, who was a drifter looking for a place to live. Jean Van Pettigem left the army in the spring of 1985 to marry his sweetheart and settle down in the working-class region of Charleroi. The marriage only lasted a week, and Jean soon found himself penniless and looking for a place to live. His new friend, Marc Dutroux, agreed to let him live in a rundown caravan parked in the yard of his house. Jean was a perfect mark for Dutroux. Young, broke, and not very clever. He was soon doing his bidding in the murky underworld of Charleroi. Although educated as an electrician, Dutroux preferred stealing for a living, and he and his new protege, Jean, were learning the ropes in the world of petty crime. From stealing cars to raiding work sites, the two would hustle any angle to make a buck. We know a lot about Jean Van Pettigem's experience with Dutroux from statements he later made to police and journalists. On June 7, 1985, Jean Van Pettigem stumbled out of his caravan and joined Dutroux and his wife Michelle Martin for dinner in their kitchen. Dutroux was animated that evening and suggested, quote, let's go out and have some fun. His wife, Michelle Martin, knew exactly what that meant and protested that she didn't want him to take her car for that kind of fun. But Dutroux wasn't the kind of guy to let a woman tell him what to do. Soon they were cruising the streets of Charleroi and Dutroux spotted a young girl outside a municipal pool and suggested they pick her up. Isn't she a bit young, said Jean. Just my type, replied Dutroux. Jean said he didn't want to do it, but was indebted to Dutroux, so he followed orders and jumped out and grabbed 11-year-old Sylvia by the waist with one hand over her mouth and threw her into the back passenger seat. Although this scene played out 11 years before the kidnapping of Letitia Deleuze and Bertrie, it was strikingly similar. A young girl on her way home from a swimming pool was brutally snatched by Mark Dutroux and a lackey accomplice. This probably wasn't his first rodeo, and we certainly know it wasn't his last. But at 29, Dutroux still hadn't perfected his technique. It wasn't until years later that he would decide to change his approach and never let his victims go again. Dutroux, his wife Michelle, and Jean Van Pettigem would go on to kidnap and assault several more girls and young women in 1985. Out of respect for the victims, I will only refer to them by their first names. 
On the 17th of October, 1985, 19-year-old Maria was walking to the store near the town of Bash. Jean waited on the sidewalk until she walked by and then pushed her into Dutroux's Peugeot van. There were two other accomplices in the van that day who've still never been identified. One of them was described by Maria as a balding man in his 50s. They took her to a house and raped her several times. Before letting her go, Dutroux threatened to kill her if she ever talked. A few months later, on the 14th of December, a University of Brussels medical student named Axel traveled home for the weekend to the town of Naline, just south of Charleroi. She left Brussels on Saturday afternoon by train to Charleroi, where she boarded a bus to her hometown of Naline. Axel exited the bus just after 7 p.m. and started walking home when she noticed a dirty white van that seemed to be following her. Michel Martin was at the wheel while Marc sat in the back of the van and Jean got out. As she passed by them, the back doors of the van flew open. Jean pushed her into the van while Marc pulled her in from the inside. They immediately put masking tape over her eyes and took her to a house where she was forced to undress in front of all three of them. Axel was locked up in that house for almost 24 hours and repeatedly raped. The following Sunday, they dropped her off near her parents' home in Naline, but not before stealing her cash and her pencil case. Just four days later, the trio struck again. 15-year-old Elizabeth was riding her bike to school on a cold December morning in an almost identical abduction to what would happen 10 years later to Sabine Darden. Elizabeth was ripped off of her bike and thrown into a dirty van. The story Dutroux told her was also very similar to what he would tell Sabine several years later, that her kidnapping and rape was vengeance for something her father had done. Unlike Sabine, however, they let her go 12 hours later, a miscalculation that Dutroux would later correct. As I mentioned in the beginning, Jean Van Pettigem wasn't the cleverest man. He had given so many details about himself during his conversations with victims that police were able to piece it together and figure out who he was. They arrested him on February 3, 1986, and Van Pettigem confessed to the police that he was one of Axel's three kidnappers. There was no point in denying it because investigators had found the girl's pencil case during a search of his house. Under pressure from police, Jean spilled the beans and admitted to carrying out the kidnappings and rape with Dutroux and his wife, Martin. He confessed to the abductions and rapes of Sylvia, Maria, Axel, Elizabeth, and a fifth victim named Catherine, who was kidnapped and raped under similar circumstances. Dutroux and Martin were also arrested. Martin first denied everything, then confessed, and then later retracted her confession under pressure from Dutroux. He denied everything, and when they later convicted him, he declared himself a victim and complained about a grave miscarriage of justice. Between the arrest and the hearing, 
the true also came under suspicion for another crime that involved the brutal robbery of a 58-year-old woman who was tortured for three hours by Dutroux and two companions in her house until she told them where the money was. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. On April 26, 1989, Dutroux was sentenced to 13 and a half years of prison. Van Pettigam got six and a half years, and Martin got five years. Dutroux's sentence was longer because he was also convicted of the brutal robbery of the woman. I was able to track down one of Mark Dutroux's former cellmates from his time in prison. This man's name is Daniel Dejas. Daniel is soft-spoken and articulate. He looks nothing like a man who's been to prison three times. He was a drug addict for 20 years and found himself in the same prison as Dutroux in the late 80s after getting busted for robbing a pharmacy in Charlois. I asked him to explain how he met Dutroux in prison. During free time, he would walk around the prison yard with a chessboard. That's how we met, and we probably played chess in the yard, and he asked me uh, to be a cellmate. And that's how I ended up with him. Afterwards, he turned out not to be easy at all to live with, because everything had to be exactly as he decided. For example, to play chess when he wanted, even if I didn't feel like playing. And another thing, at the time, I still smoked, and Marc Dutroux said he couldn't stand cigarette smoke. One time he was coming back from the shower, and I was smoking at the window, and he grabbed a table leg and threw it at my head, really violently, only missing me by a couple of centimeters. He completely denied kidnapping and raping the young girls. But apparently it was filmed. I don't know if he filmed it or an accomplice. But he insisted that he had nothing to do with it and that he had only seen video during questioning. And he said that it showed a girl who had been forced to get undressed and was blindfolded standing up on a sofa. And the poor girl blindfolded while standing on the sofa 
lost her balance and fell on her face. And while he was telling me this, he was laughing like a hyena. He thought it was so hilarious. It wasn't funny at all, you know. It was a scene that provoked compassion and pity. To see this poor girl to be forcibly undressed and falling on her face. But he thought it was irresistibly funny. And it was that sort of thing that convinced me he was guilty. Because his personality fits so well with what he was accused of doing. At one point, he told me he wanted to build a hiding place. Extremely well built and discreet. And he explained what he actually did a few years later. And he told me he needed help to build it. I said, listen, I'm not interested. Why would I help you to do that? And he said, well, you can hide your drugs there. And at that point I clicked and said, you want to build that to hide girls? And he didn't answer. And then I remember clearly when I saw on television years later that it was Marc Dutroux, I thought, oh my God, he did it. While in prison, Dutroux went about positioning himself as a model inmate. He even attended AA meetings despite never having been a serious drinker. His good behavior earned him several temporary releases, where accompanied by a guardian, he visited his ailing grandmother. She was incoherent and didn't even know he was in prison at the time. He introduced the guardian as a friend, and the latter was impressed with Dutroux's devotion and generosity. Of course, Mark Dutroux knew that this guardian also sat on the parole board. Never one to miss an opportunity. He was also using these visits to sow the seeds that would help him fleece his grandmother out of her pension and house after prison. In 1991, Mark's mother, Janine Lowence, wrote several letters to the prison, pleading for them not to let her son out. In one of her letters, she wrote, quote, I know his stubbornness to achieve whatever he wants. What I don't know and what everyone who knows him fears is what he has in mind for the future." Unquote. Nonetheless, on the 6th of April, 1992, Mark was released on parole only three years after being convicted in 89. How could a man who violently kidnapped and raped five children and young women be let out of prison after serving less than half a sentence that seemed too short in the first place. What Dutroux did in the 80s is really awful stuff. It's outrageous that he spent such a small time in prison for this. This is the voice of Bruno Denis, who you also heard at the start of this episode. Bruno's a Belgian with two daughters who lived through these times. I thought it would be interesting to give voice to a normal Belgian citizen. I mean, it's not just one girl he kidnapped and raped, but five of them. We're talking about girls as young as 11 years old, abducted in the street and then raped and abused and threatened with their lives. And all of this before Julie and Melissa were even born. It should have been the end of it in 1986. But my God, it was just the beginning. What happened after he got out of prison is just beyond belief. Next time on Le Monstre. We saw two young girls walking along the street, and he said, do you want to earn 150,000 Belgian francs? And I said, sure, but how? And then he said, we had to kidnap the girls first. 
and then he'd show me. She wanted me to bring her Julie Lejeune. And I thought, wait a minute, Julie Lejeune? I was convinced he made a Freudian slip. Julie Lejeune had gone missing way before Sabine was kidnapped. I knew at this point that we were on to something. Melissa, Mimi, my little fille, Melissa, Mimi, my little girl. I call you in the empty house just to hear my voice resonate with your name like before and to hope for a tenth of a second that you'll answer. But alas, I only hit a wall of silence. The Monster is a production of Tenderfoot TV and iHeartRadio. Hosted and executive produced by me, Matt Graves. Produced by Thomas Resimont of Bubble Sound. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on the behalf of Tenderfoot TV with producer Makeup and Vanity Set. Matt Frederick and Alex Williams are executive producers on the behalf of iHeartRadio with producer Trevor Young. Original music by Jay Ragsdale. Sound design by Cooper Skinner and Thomas Resimont. Mixed and mastered by Cooper Skinner. Cover design by Trevor Eiler. La Monstra includes archival audio from Sonuma RTBF archives and CNN archives. Special thanks to Beck Media and Marketing, Station 16, Jean Savigna, and the teams at iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. Find us on social media at monster underscore pod. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.